The following audio is from a sermon series for the season of Advent entitled The Birth of the Peacemaker. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 2, 33-35 and Matthew 19, 16-30. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you, have, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Advent is a time where our whole society just about kind of um, gathers around Jesus. Now it's been, we all know it's been hijacked a little bit uh, by, by consumerism, right? Uh, but the name of Christ is on everyone's uh, tongue. And one thing about this season is we're probably pretty busy. We try to pull back at Sacred City. We don't have like leadership meetings. We don't have huddles at, during uh, uh, December. We don't do things. We, we try to kind of pull back and, and give families space and give families room. And the reason we do that is because we pack our schedules. We got to work, you know, we all know. You got work Christmas parties. You got neighborhood Christmas parties. You got family Christmas parties. You've got kids recitals, multiple kids recitals. Throw on top of that sports still going on. You got to shop right? You've got all the other stuff you got to do. Then you just got the, the family traditions of getting the tree and getting the lights up and, what, and going to look at Christmas lights, um, that we want us to enjoy all of those things, but primarily we want Advent to be a time where you can kind of slow down. I, just, I know this is weird. We want you to be able to slow down and think about this season. Think about the reality of Jesus Christ entering into our world. And so one of the primary ways we can do that, obviously, is making our Sunday gatherings a priority for you, and then all, maybe making a Wednesday, a Wednesday night, Tuesday night, whatever your missional community night is, making that a priority to take some time there just to, to meditate on and to slow yourself down and just to think about the reality of God coming down to us. And we wanted to do that as a church, wanted to help us do that. So that's why we're doing this, se this series um, on Advent. We're kind of taking a little break from our First Peter series. I've been enjoying First Peter. I don't know if You've been liking it much, but I have. Uh, but we're taking pushing pause, and we're going to spend the next four weeks uh, in this series that we're calling "The Birth of the Peacemaker." And um, each week, we're going to kind of check out a encounter that Jesus had with someone or something, and how he came to bring peace in that in that uh, um, area of influence. And we're going to look at that each week. But before we do, I'm going to I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into this this morning. I'm glad you're here with us, and uh, I'm excited to get going. So I know I'm wasting my time right now, so I better shut up and pray. Here we go. Father, uh, we do want to kind of fight against the tide. We want to anchor ourselves 
to you and resist the pull, resist the current that's forcing us into just kind of being busybodies this season, to not be contemplative, to not slow down and really think about the meaning of the season and what's really going on. Uh, we're so tempted just to get caught up with the rest of our culture and just running with, with our heads cut off from place to place to place, checking off our Christmas list, doing what we've got to do, that we confess that this whole season could just rush past us and then in comes the dread of having to pay the bills after Christmas and, and the, the, the letdown. Well, would you arrest our attention even now? Would you draw our gaze out of the hustle and the bustle up into uh, Jesus, into the throne room of God. Help us see clearly who Jesus was, what he came to do for us, and would we be um, mesmerized by it? Would you draw our, our attention up to you this morning? Would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords? Would it be all of you and none of me? I pray this, Father, for the good of your people and the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> We're doing something a little different, as you saw. We're going to check out two scriptures this morning. Luke chapter 2 is going to be read every week, and it's kind of the basis of that we're coming at this whole series around this text in Luke chapter 2. And Luke chapter 2, this is 40 days after Jesus was born. His father Joseph and mother Mary brought him to the temple to offer the appropriate sacrifices for a firstborn son and to present Jesus to the Lord as it was prescribed to do in the Old Testament. We read about that in the book of Exodus, if you're with us then. And here's what happened. When they enter into the temple, they ran into a man named Simeon. And Simeon was, according to the scriptures, a righteous and devout man. He was a man of God who had been prayerfully looking and hoping for God's promised Messiah. He has been waiting in Advent. This ex, he's waiting in expectation and longing for God's Messiah to come and save his people. And some random, well, random, under the providence of God, right? Some random day, he's in there, he's praying, he's doing his daily thing, and here come Mary and Joseph with this little baby Jesus. And when Simeon sees the baby Jesus, this is what he says in Luke chapter 2, 33 he says this in 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. That means he's going to be opposed. And he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He speaks this to Mary. And he says, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, this is kind of a twofold prophecy. First, this is a personal prophecy to Mary. <clears throat> Simeon says, this is terrible, really. He says to her, right, she's all exciting, bringing her baby 40 days old into the temple. And Simeon gives the nice, warming, pastoral presence, the prophecy that says, this child will pierce your soul. And we know what this means looking back now that Mary will watch her son grow to be rejected, scorned, and eventually publicly crucified by the Romans. This is literally, literally prophesying a mother's worst nightmare. But then also Simeon prophesies a more universal prophecy. And he says, this child that you hold in your arms is appointed for the rising and the falling of many in Israel so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, what Simeon is saying here is, this, listen, this is a prophecy that, that comes to us as well. And here it is. Simeon is saying that no one on earth can remain neutral to Jesus. In Luke, Jesus is said to be the Prince of Peace, but Jesus also says of himself in the book of Luke that he didn't just come to bring peace, that he came to bring a sword. Now, we read that, and is Jesus contradicting himself? No. He's fulfilling the prophecy of Simeon. Jesus reveals what's in the heart of man, and that always causes a cataclysmic 
reaction. It crushes some and it exalts others. It causes some to fall at his feet and worship him as Lord. And it causes others to walk away from Jesus, grieved and angry. And for the next four weeks, we're going to study some of these honest encounters with the peacemaker. And it's our hope that through these examples, you too would have an honest encounter with him, Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with a very successful, morally commendable young man. Uh, This encounter is found in three out of four Gospels, but today we're going to look at Matthew's depiction of it in Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses 16 through 30. So if you could turn your Bibles there. And we're actually, I'm not going to preach on the whole section. Um, I'm just going to get the first uh, few verses, actually. Uh, So get, if you don't have your Bible, there's Bibles in the little, in the, I want to say the pew Bibles, whatever we call these things, the little baggies on your chair. There's Bibles there. You can pull it up on your app. I know that was a great depiction of them. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life. Now, first off, we need to know who is this man? Now, the Bible calls him many times people, you've heard him called the rich young ruler or the rich young man. Um, But the reality is the Bible just says he's a young man. And we see at least three things about him in this depiction. Number one, we know that he's economically successful. He's rich, okay? So he's a young man who's successful. Number two, he's morally outstanding. Eventually, we're going to see Jesus is going to give him some, some like uh, some of the Ten Commandments, and this guy is going to be like, "Okay, I'm killing the game. I'm doing that. W- what else is there for me to do?" So this guy is—he's economically successful. He's morally upright. He's a very good young man. And then add to that, he's spiritually inquisitive, right? He's searching. He's—he knows there's something missing. He come. He's coming up to Jesus. He's not sitting at home counting his money, <laughs> right? He's not that type of guy. He's not exploiting the poor and doing these things. He's saying, oh, there's a teacher in town. There's a rabbi in town. Let me go check this guy out. I'm going to go find out what this guy has to offer. And so right away we see spiritually inquisitive, morally outstanding, economically successful. And now can I just say from the outside looking in, this is the guy you want your daughter to date. Right? This is the type of guy who you want on your team at work. This is the guy you want in your family, the guy that you want on your staff at church. But what we find right away is that Jesus doesn't do what most of us would do. He doesn't roll out the red carpet for this young man. He doesn't bend over backwards to recruit this young man. In fact, Jesus kind of drops a bomb and challenges this man's entire worldview. And he does that because when you dig a little deeper, you begin to see that this young man has some significant cracks in his foundation. Some cracks that I think you and I probably share. Though on the surface, this guy looks like a super successful, moral, and godly man. Inwardly, he's aware that something is still missing. See, if you're satisfied, if you're um, content, you, you aren't still searching, but this young man is still searching. He's going to Jesus and asking. He knows there's something still missing. So he comes to Jesus and he asks him here in verse 16, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So he knows he's missing. He knows he's, he's lacking something. Now, I don't want you to miss what's going on here. This is every leader's, like, hope and dream. Leaders love it when their followers come up to them and say stuff like this, okay? When employees ask their boss, what else can I do, right? What else can I do to become a better employee, to make this place better? What else can I do to add value? Leader just licks his chops, right? When a 
student comes or an athlete comes to a coach and says, coach, what else can I do? I want to be better. I want to be a better teammate. I want to be a better player. What else can I do? Right? That coach pulls it out. Weight room, extra run. He's got the list he can give him. Right? Now, can you just imagine for a moment, right, your son or daughter coming to you and saying, mom, dad, what else can I do around the house around here? Right? Can you imagine just for a moment? Let's just take a second, right? Sit in that. Well, in the same way, listen, religious leaders love it when their followers ask them, what else can I do to have eternal life? Because here's the reality. There's always a lot of stuff that needs to be done. There are groups that need to be led. Bible studies that need to be planned, books that need to be read, prayers that need to be prayed, children to be cared for, sick people to be visited, money to be given, buildings to be cleaned. There is always a lot of work to be done. But here we see that Jesus is not like other religious leaders, and his message is totally different from every other religion. Jesus isn't out to just get stuff done. He's about more than just doing good and keeping people busy. Now, I know that some of you, you would have just corrected this young man's theology and told him to pray the sinner's prayer. Someone comes to you and says, what else do I need to know God and have eternal life? And you're gonna say, there's nothing you can do, brother. You just trust in Jesus by faith and pray this prayer with me right now. But that's not what Jesus does either. Jesus doesn't say, just ask me into your heart, right? What do I do? Ask me into your heart. It would be a little weird, but he, could, he also say, he said weird stuff all the time, right? I mean, don't eat my flesh. You can't have be part of me. Like, he, he wasn't opposed to saying weird things. What I want you to see is that this is an honest encounter with Jesus, and an honest encounter with Jesus is never cliche. It doesn't come the way we expect it. It doesn't follow any traditional patterns of religion. It isn't just focused on what we do or don't do. Oh, here's what you need to do. Pray this prayer. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Nor is it focused just on the spiritual. No, an honest encounter with Jesus, listen, goes much deeper. It's more than just praying this way, being spiritual. It's more than just doing good deeds It gets much deeper and it involves the totality of the human person. Listen, an honest encounter with Jesus will take all that you have. It's all encompassing. You're gonna have to think deeply. You're gonna have to experience and feel deeply, right? And then eventually you're going to have to do something. It's all encompassing. And as we study this encounter this morning, I want us to have kind of this as our rubric. In Mark, it says that before Jesus responds to this rich young man, he says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's important for us to have that as the lens that we view this through. Jesus isn't out to use this man for his own agenda. This man is not a cog in Jesus's wheel. He's not out to get something from him. Jesus is loving this man. And so we can say, as Jesus was the the love of God made manifest among us, the love of God put on flesh and walked among us, we can say that Jesus' response here is the most loving response humanly possible for this young man. And the first thing Jesus does is to begin to kind of unpeel the layers of this man's faulty understanding. He kind of, he's beginning to show him the insufficiency of his entire set of beliefs, his religious assumptions about life. See, this man, and this is what happens typically when you, be, get, when you get successful, and specifically when, you, when you're successful at a young age. It's one of the most dangerous things that can happen to young men and young women. See, when you're successful all your life, you begin to get a little arrogant. 
right? And, and many times, what, what, how do we get successful? Many times we have gone to great leaders, we've gone to other people and we've asked them their advice and then we've put it into practice, right? What do I need to be better student? Okay, I'll do that. And you do that and typically you become a better student. What do I do to land a good job? You do those things and typically you land a good job. What do I do to, got to, be, to be better with my money? You do those things and then you're better with your money. And if you, a lot of the times, A plus B equals not all the time, you're going to be a lot more successful than a lot of your peers who are out, out, out doing wild, crazy, ignorant things. And this man has followed that pattern, right? He's been successful all his life by going, asking, what else do I need to do? And then doing it well. What does that mean? This man has kind of been in control his whole life. He's in control of every, he's in control of his money, He's in control of his morality. He's upright, upstanding young man, right? He's living in a good neighborhood. And now he wants to be in control of his eternal life as well. And Jesus, see, he doesn't just look at the surface. Jesus sees into our heart and he knows this young man is nowhere near the kingdom of God. He's nowhere near the kingdom of God. And so Jesus kind of flips the script on this young man, right? This young man comes and he's asking for advice and Jesus will not give him advice. Jesus begins to question all of his assumptions about the spiritual life. Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? Right away, we see Jesus is doing something. He's digging. He's going after this young man's heart. He's not just going to give him a list of things to do, nor is he going to say, just pray this prayer. He wants to get deeper into this man's foundational beliefs about life and about God. This, my friends, is gospeling 101 the ability to take the good news of the gospel and to get it down where it actually is going to be eventually good news for a person in their heart. It's more than just Jesus died for your sins. Look what he's, look what he's going to do. <clears throat> Jesus is about to show this young man the complete insufficiency of his entire spiritual worldview. He's going to show him why he feels incomplete and why he's lacking in true spiritual life. And he begins by questioning this man's basic religious assumptions about life. Why do you ask me what is good? Keep reading. There is only one who is good. This probably flew right over this guy's head. What's Jesus saying right there? Jesus is saying God is the source of goodness. Goodness is not some arbitrary list of things you do and don't do. God is good. There's only one who is good, but he's also paradoxically because Jesus was the eternal God. He's with God in eternity for all eternity past, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all one God. And then Jesus adds to his divinity humanity. He was divine, he was God. And when he comes in the incarnation, he's a born a human baby, he adds Humanity to his divinity, right? And so Jesus is God in the flesh. And so ironically, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good and he's standing right in front of you. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's questioning kind of his basis for what does he believe about goodness? What's his standard of good? How do you define good? And he says this, there's only one who is good. If you would enter life, that's eternal life, it's zoe, everlasting life, keep the commandments. So here we have perfect goodness standing before this rich, morally commendable young man. And Jesus, goodness in the flesh says, here's what's good. If you enter life, keep the commandments. Listen, guys, all it takes to get eternal life, eternal satisfaction, completeness of soul, ultimate happiness is a perfectly lived life in obedience to every single one of God's good commands. That's all it takes. 
But I would imagine you, as you start to squirm a little bit, you might respond exactly like this rich young man. Which ones? Right? <laughs> this is awesome. If Jesus was laying a trap, the trap just sprung. All right? He could have just went like, wrong. Which ones? All of them, idiot. Like that's, that could have been his response. Like, obey the law. Which ones? Right? Can you imagine saying that to a police officer or a judge? Which ones are you serious about? Here we see Jesus' grace and patience. He, he starts to list a few of them. Not all the Ten Commandments. He starts to list a few of them. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, don't murder. I imagine this kid. Not that one. Right? Don't murder. Shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. This is how we see that he really was a morally commendable young man. But we see also a glaring fault line in this man's foundation. He cannot rightly examine his own heart. See, this man is not lying. He's just spiritually blind. He's dull to the realities of his own heart. And so he says, done that. What else do you have for me? And because he's blind and Jesus isn't okay with him being blind, Jesus, the, snap, the, the trap has snapped, right? And Jesus now springs on the, 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 the one thing that he can't do. This is what he says. Well, actually, well, he says like, what other, which ones? You shall not steal all these things. The young man said to him, all these have I kept, but, the, but look at this. What do I still lack? What do I still lack? Now, from this, I want you to see there's two glaring insufficiencies of this religious system that we're going to call moralism, okay? Moralism is do good and God will be good to you. That's moralism. Be good and good things will happen. That's moralism. It's one of the foundational kind of um, philosophies of life in our society today. Most people think if I'm good, God's going to rain down heaven, you know, blessings from heaven and things are going to go good in my life. But there's a problem with it. And there's at least two things. First, we've already seen, Jesus lists a few things, and what does this guy say? Okay, what else? Well, what do I still lack? See, in moralism, there's always more to do. The spiritual to-do list is never complete. So you will always be anxious and unsure if you're good enough or you've done enough to inherit eternal life. It's some kind of, in our minds, we don't really know where it's at. There's some kind of nebulous type line out there that if I'm good enough, I'm gonna get to heaven. But where is good enough? How good is good enough? Well, we compare ourselves to our neighbors. Well, I'm not, you know, I don't do things like they do. And so I must be, I think the, the line's behind my heels. I hope it's behind my heels. But I'm not really sure. And so we're anxious and we're kind of spiritually always off kilter and we can never really rest and have peace because we're always thinking, what else does God want from me? What else do I have to do to get into eternal life, to experience this new life? Maybe it's another Bible study. Maybe it's more time in prayer. Maybe it's more time in his word. Maybe I, all these things that go on in our, and so we're spiritually anxious. And then secondly, so that's the first one. It's, it's, there's always more to do in moralism. You can never rest. And the second insufficiency of the religious system of moralism is by its nature, it's externally focused. And the reality of my eyes, right? My eyes are externally focused. I can see all of y'all today, but I can't see myself. Right? I, I, I don't know if there's stuff on my face right now. Right? I hope not, right? But I, I can't see myself. 
And moralism is the same way. It's externally focused and unable to see what's really going on in our heart. So it keeps us naive to what's going on in our souls, what's motivating our behavior. But a real experience with God, a real encounter with Jesus, it has to begin at the core of who we are. Now, I'm saying heart, you could say heart, you could say spirit, you could say soul. These things are a bit interchangeable. We're talking about the inner you. And so to have an honest encounter with the real Jesus means, listen, Jesus has to meet the real us, not the external us, not the image, not the Facebook you, not the Instagram you. Has to know the real you, who you are in your heart. And it also means that Jesus maybe primarily or first and foremost needs to expose us to who we really are in our heart. And this might be the first time anyone in this young man's life actually turned a spiritual mirror on him and reflected what's in his own heart. Everybody else has just said, you are killing the game, dude. You are outstanding. You are wealthy. You are more than likely good looking, right? This guy was probably one of those guys, right? From the womb, he could throw a football 90 yards, right? He could run a 4-3-40. He's got everything going for him. More than likely, that's what it feels like, this guy. And he probably can sing too, right? And this, And then he encounters Jesus, and Jesus doesn't look at the external stuff. He's looking inside, in his heart. And he pulls up a spiritual mirror that's meant to reflect who this young man is. John Calvin, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, he starts off by saying this. He says, nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves that you can't know God rightly until you really know yourself rightly. And you can't know yourself rightly until you know God rightly. Calvin says, which one comes first? I don't even know. It's too hard to discern. But we need to see who we are and we need to know who God is. And in this moment, we get to, we get to see God do this in this young man's life. Look at verse, where would I leave? 21. And this young man said to him, all these have I kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect, if you're going to live on a moralistic scale, a, moralis- a standard of moralism, this is the standard. Perfection. That's the standard. If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now this was a personalized, honest encounter with the real Jesus. This response is twofold. One, there's a command, right? Go, sell, give, follow, right? Go back home, trade in all your riches, Give to the poor and then come and follow me. That was the command for this young man, right? But then the second part, there was a promise that if you do these things, you will have treasure in heaven. You'll get to walk with me and talk with me and live with me and I'll take care of all your needs. And then you'll have treasure in heaven, Now, you might think that this was unfair of Jesus. I know right now many of us are pretty wealthy, and we might be getting a little nervous. But it's not. Listen, all Jesus is doing here, and many of you already know this, all Jesus is doing here is contextualizing the first commandment, have no other gods before me, for this young man. This man loved money more than he loved God. So when, the, when it was presented to him, give, right? 
go, sell, come and follow, and you'll have eternal riches in heaven. Compared to what he already had, this man said, no thanks. He walked away from the eternal wealth of knowing God to keep that which his heart already worshiped as well. That shows us something. Every single person on earth is already worshiping something. Everyone has someone or something as the center of their self. It could be your kids, it could be success and power, it could be freedom, it could be almost anything. And the reality is, listen, if your center isn't in God, you will always be searching for that one more thing just like this young man. And you'll be naive to what's really going on in your own heart, just like this young man. You won't be able to really live, and here's a big term, your authentic self. Now, your authentic self, what I mean by that is that combination that John Calvin was talking about, knowing who God is and knowing who I am. That's your authentic self. Right? The apostle talks about you're, when you come to Christ, you have a new life and this real life is now hidden in Christ, in God, with Christ, in God. This new self, who you really are. And you won't be able to do that if you're worshiping something else because you are going to be controlled by the very thing that you worship. If you worship money, you can't give it away like this. It's where you find your identity, your worth. You can't give it away. This this young man has been in control of everything his whole life, and to give up his wealth would be to give up his control. To now be dependent upon someone else for his meals. To now, now be dependent on someone else for the roof over his head. See, this guy has a bad day at work. He can go home to his nice house, right? He can take a vacation. He's got the money to be in control of his circumstances, but to give it all up and to put all of his trust into Jesus is too much. This man asks, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, give away your possessions to the poor and then come follow me and I'll give you treasure in heaven. Jesus answers his question honestly. What's he saying? If you want to have eternal life, give up your God. Throw away your God. Give away your God. You can't have two gods at the same time. Give away your God and come follow the real God. He even promises him eternal rewards. This man walks away depressed. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This shows us, folks, money in the hands is fine. It's money in the heart that cripples us. How do you know if your money has gotten into your heart? Can you let it go towards the things of God? Can you give it away sacrificially? Right? Can you give 10%? of your income back to the local church so we can send out church planters and we can plant new churches. We could pay our staff. We could hire new people. We can do the things that we want to do in the city for the glory of God. We can support missionaries. We can support kids in Kenya. A lot of us do that. How do you know if money's gotten in your heart? You can't give it away. You can't be generous. Now, you might be thinking, as I was thinking when I, when I used to read this and until kind of the Lord kind of showed me something here, I, I was thinking, what a, what a bummer. What a failure. This guy comes to Jesus wanting eternal life and Jesus doesn't like lower the bar and help this guy into the kingdom. Like give me a hand. Talk about praying the prayer. Talk about salvation by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. He doesn't do that. He said he like raises the standard to the, to the moon. Be perfect. That's all you got to do. Give away all your money. No big deal. Come follow me. If you look at this encounter, was this encounter a failure? No, it wasn't. And it wasn't because of this. For the first time in this young man's life, he actually saw 
the contents of his own heart. Think about it. Every time he walked up to any leader in his life, they would say this, here's what you need to do. If you want to be successful, do this, boom. The young man would be like, okay, let's go. I'll do that, I'll do that. And listen, as you grow in this pattern, if you've experienced this in your life, your boss tells you to do something, you do it. You get a, little, you get a promotion or you get successful. Your coach tells you to do something, you do it. You get successful. As you follow this pattern in your life, right, you begin to really kind of get secure in who you are, right? You think, I'm pretty good at this. And now Jesus says, you want one more thing? Here it is. And this man can't do it. This is the one thing this man can't do. And for the first time in his life, he realizes, I don't think I have the ability to do this. Not even the ability, I don't even think I want to do this. I genuinely like my wealth and like my money more than I think I like God or want to follow this guy named Jesus. The one thing in my life I can't do, and Jesus asked me to do that one thing, and he walks away aware. Listen, here's the good news. He walks away aware that he cannot achieve eternal life on his own. Now, this man is actually closer to the kingdom of God after this encounter than he was before. And this guy, he's young, hopefully. I mean, He's still got time, right? Hopefully he doesn't eat, get eaten by a bear or something on the way home. That'd be unfortunate, right? He's still got some time, but he's realized the, the crucial first step in a life with God. And I'm gonna ask you, have you realized this first step? Or are you like a, mo a modern day rich young ruler who thinks, just give me one more thing to do. How much money do I have to give to the church? Okay, I'll give that and then I'm good. Now let's go on to other things. You just want one more thing? No, this guy has realized he cannot achieve his way into a relationship with God. He can't earn his way in. He can't obey his way in. Your worldly success profits you nothing. This is one way that Jesus came to level the ground, to bring peace between the rich and the poor. Everyone brings nothing but their sins to Jesus. No one gets a fast track. No one has any influence or power with Jesus. You can't know somebody who knows somebody to help you get in. You have to know the insufficiency of yourself and the all-sufficiency of Jesus. That's why Jesus says later on in this text, with man it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. When the gospel is preached, see, <clears throat> this morning, as I'm preaching the gospel, when the gospel is preached, God gives people the ability through his spirit to see the all supreme glory of Jesus. And only after seeing his glory, can we relinquish our hold on the other things in our life that are crowding our hearts. You're never going to give up money until you see that God is better than money. You're never going to give up that relationship that you're holding on to to find all your meaning in until you find that, realize that Jesus has already given you all the significance and meaning through his life, death, resurrection. If this young man could really see the proper value of the one who stood before him, he would sell everything he owns, give it all the way to the poor and follow Jesus on the spot. But at this time, this man just can't see it. Can I ask you today, can you see it? Is Jesus more precious to you than anything else in your life? Or is he just an add-on? Just a little addition to help you out now and then. You know, like this rich young man, I'm an outstanding young man. All... The ladies around my neighborhood, they want me to be their son-in-law. I just, you know what, Jesus, I just need that little bump. Give me that little extra, a little something, something. I just want a little bit more, I want a little sprinkle on top. So what else can I do, Jesus? I'm pretty outstanding. He just wanted to add Jesus to his life. 
Jesus is like, no, no, you don't add me to your life. I am your life or I am nothing to you. And if that's you, you just want to add Jesus to your life, you haven't really had an honest encounter with him. You don't really know who he is. You haven't understood the good news of the gospel. Listen to Pastor Timothy Keller. When you meet the real message of the gospel, you always find, always find two things that are shocking. One, it demands more than you thought. And two, it offers more than you thought. When you meet the real Jesus, you'll find he wants much more from you than you ever thought. And he offers far more to you than you've ever dreamed. He says this, frankly, that's also what it means to grow in your faith. The way you grow as a Christian, the way you know you've grown, is that a year ago, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you're growing if a year ago you were much more ignorant about these two things. That today you see far more of what God is requiring of you. He requires a lot more than you ever thought, but he offers far more than you have ever imagined. That's what it means to be dealing with the real Jesus. That you realize simultaneously, God is asking more of me than I ever imagined, but he's also given me more than I've ever imagined in the gospel. Now, have you had an encounter with Jesus like this? You feel him asking more of you than you've ever thought, but simultaneously offering you more than you've ever imagined. What's he offering? He's offering you the forgiveness of every sin, even the ones that you can't forgive yourself for. He's offering you the removal of all our guilt. We can be morally right and morally pure in his presence. He's offering you peace and rest as you trust in him. Moralism can never do it. You can never, the the doing never stops. In Christ, we can say, it is finished. He lived the perfect life for me. He died the death that I deserve and give me new life by his spirit when he was resurrected. He's offering us a relationship with him that has already been earned by someone else. I'm gonna ask you this morning, if you, Can you honestly pray? Can you pray this prayer this morning? Can you say, Jesus, gospel me like this. Show me the contents of my own heart. Show me who I really am. Show me what I'm really worshiping. Show me what I'm clinging to that is keeping the eternal riches of heaven out of my hands. Prayer that he he will answer. As I close, I want you to see, Jesus never asks something from you that he hasn't already done for you. This is the difference. Religion says, give everything and you'll get to heaven. That's not really what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus is saying when you put it in the totality of what he's done. He's saying, this is what I I did for you. If you realize what I've done for you, this is what you'll do. Let me show you. Jesus is the true and better rich young ruler. Jesus existed with God, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. See, this was called the dance of the Trinity, right? All of them infatuated with one another. They never sinned against one another. They never hurt one another. A perfect love triangle, okay? The Trinity, that's what the Trinity is. And the Father comes up with this plan to create humans that are going to sin and rebel and then to redeem them, not to just annihilate them, but to redeem them. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll go do that. I, I, I want to be the, I'm the son. I want to be the one that goes and redeems. And so Jesus, listen, leaves heaven. He, he sells it all to come not only dwell amongst us and have a flesh suit on and get hurt and get hungry and get tired 
right? And be gossiped about and be betrayed by those closest to him. But he, he, he fully gives it all on the cross. The God of the universe becomes man and allows man to crucify him. This is, and what does he do? He's giving everything he owns for the poor. Who are the poor? We are the spiritually poor. We are spiritually bankrupt. We cannot do anything to save us. We have no means to earn our way back to God. But Jesus came and lived the life that we can't live and died the death that we deserve so that we can have his riches in Christ, in glory, in heaven forever. He is the true and better rich young ruler. And he's done that for you. Now, if you see that, and it comes into your heart and it changes you. Riches will never get in your heart again. Money can't do that. Money has no eternal value. And it's not just money. Anything that we worship pales in comparison to the one who gave it all up for us. And this is what this season is about. Have you had that honest encounter with Jesus? I pray you would this morning. Father, I thank you for the work that you have done in and through Jesus for us. You never command us to do anything Jesus hasn't already done for us. And I know that your Holy Spirit is working right now and you're holding up a mirror, a spiritual mirror revealing the contents of our heart but you're also applying a balm. We can lay our deadly doing down, down at the feet of Jesus because Jesus has done it all for us. We look to the cross. We see the work that Jesus has done to forgive us of our sins. We look to the resurrection to know the new life we can have in Christ. And Father, we put our hope in you. We put our trust in you now. Riches will fail us. Every other God will fail us. You've never failed us. You never could fail us. You've already given us more than we could ever imagine and given us your son and forgiveness. Thank you for that. And now as we come to the Lord's table, we get you in our hands. You want to be so near to us. This isn't just some spiritual reality. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed to cover your sins. We're commanded to do this as often as we come together. To remember the God became flesh and he allowed his flesh to be broken and his body to be split open and his blood to be shed to save us from our sins. No one has done something like this for us. No one. So this morning we come and we open up our greedy little sinful hands and we say, thank you. Feed me, Lord. Father, we believe you spiritually need us in this meal this morning. And I pray that you would do that as we search our hearts and we turn from the false gods that we have. And we see kind of the false and fading comforts of our idols in the light of the eternal weight of glory of who you are and what you've done. Help us toward this end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.